This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Thanks, guys. If you're new today, we are in a series uh, called Living Hope uh, that's based on the book of 1 Peter. We're just kind of walking through the book of 1 Peter together, and today we're talking about hope and suffering. If you'll turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 12 through 19 today. You know, when it comes to the issue of suffering, the issue is not if we will suffer, but when we will suffer. And suffering comes in a a variety of forms. It can can hit us from a variety of of different angles. But no matter how it comes or what the source of it is, we want to be equipped to be ready for that and and to suffer well, to suffer in a a godly way that, that brings glory to God. And we see principles in God's Word that can help us to do that. So let's look today at 1 Peter chapter 4. Um, and if you would stand in honor of God's Word as we look at this text together. 1 Peter 4, and we're looking at verses 12 through 19 today. Peter says, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in having that name. For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? And if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. You can be seated. Join me in prayer. Father, as we approach your, your word today, um, I'm aware that in a, a crowd of this size that, that there, there, are, there are some who are suffering in this very room. There are some who are carrying heavy loads. There, there are some who, who are experiencing pain, whether it's physical pain or emotional pain from some source and Father, we, we, we thank you that we have a Savior who understands suffering. We thank you that, that Jesus has come to us, that Jesus has, has walked the road of suffering, and that he's, he's able to, to sympathize and to understand. And we thank you that you've given us principles that, that will help us in, in, in times of suffering to be equipped so that we're, we're not overwhelmed and, and that we can even have in the midst of suffering a, a deep sense of joy. 
And so we, we pray that your Holy Spirit would, would touch each life here today. You know where we are today. You know what we're going to be facing down the road. We pray that you would, would, would prepare us that when suffering comes, that we would have hope in the midst of it. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Recently, I visited Auschwitz where well over a million people were murdered during the Holocaust. And so I was really interested when I read that John Lennox had been to Auschwitz recently as well. John Lennox is a brother in Christ. He's a math professor at at Oxford University in England, one of the most brilliant mathematicians in the world. And he went to Auschwitz recently, and, and in his particular tour group, there was a Jewish woman from South Africa. And they became friends and got to talking. And, and, and during one of the breaks in the tour, she asked him a question. And the question was, what does your religion make of all this? And John said to himself, what was I to say? This woman had lost her parents and most all of her family in the Holocaust. How was I to answer this question? And he paused and he said to her, I would not insult the memory of your parents by offering you simplistic answers. But I do have what for me is a doorway into an answer. You know that I'm a Christian. That means that I believe Yeshua, Jesus, is the Messiah. I also believe that he was God incarnate, come into our world as Savior, which is what his name Yeshua means. Now I know that this is even more difficult for you to accept. Nevertheless, just think about this question. If Yeshua was really God, as I believe he was, what was God doing on a cross? Could it be that God begins just here to meet our heartbreaks by demonstrating that he did not remain distant from our human suffering, but became part of it himself? For me, this is the beginning of hope, and it is a living hope that cannot be smashed by the enemy of death. The story does not end in the darkness of the cross. Yeshua conquered death. He rose from the dead. With tears in her eyes, she said to him, why has no one told me this about my Messiah before? You know, the Bible says that, that, that Jesus was a man of sorrows, that Jesus was familiar with, with suffering. And because of that, he offers hope to those who suffer. And in this passage, One of his closest friends, Peter, gives us some principles for being equipped to to suffer well when it comes. And the first principle that we see here is do not be surprised by it. Do not be surprised by suffering. Peter tells us here in, in in verse 12, He says, dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual 
were happening to you. On December 7th, 1941, the Japanese attacked the U.S. Pacific Fleet at Pearl Harbor. About 2,500 Americans were killed, including over 1,100 on the USS Arizona when it exploded. But what contributed to the awfulness of Pearl Harbor was that it came by surprise. It was a surprise attack. There was no advanced warning. And Peter here is is giving us an advance warning. He says, don't be surprised when, when suffering comes upon you. And listen, advance warning helps. It helps us not to be overwhelmed when suffering comes into our lives. It, it helps us not to draw the wrong conclusions when suffering comes into our lives. Conclusions like, God has abandoned me. God doesn't love me anymore. Or God is punishing me for something in my past. Now, Peter is saying here in in, in verse 12, he's he's saying, listen, don't freak out when suffering comes into your life. Listen, God loves you. God is in control. And he's causing all things to work together for your good and his glory. And what's more is that in times of, of suffering, it's not just something that you have to just sort of grit your teeth and get through. No, God can even give you a joy in the midst of it. And that's the second principle that we see here. He says, don't be surprised by it, but do rejoice in it. Now, he's not saying rejoice because of it. (laughs) That's very different, right? The Bible doesn't call us to be uh, masochists, you know, people who enjoy pain. That's not the idea. But what he's saying here is that in the midst of it, that, that you can still have a joy that nothing can take away. He, he says in verse 13, instead, rejoice. But, but how? Why? why? Why can we rejoice in times of suffering? Let's ask that question. And we see five answers here um, in this text. Why? How can we rejoice in the midst of suffering? First, because God uses it for our good. And maybe you're familiar with the, the story of, uh, of Joseph in the book of Genesis. So Joseph was a young guy, he was sold as a slave by his own brothers when he was just 17 years old, just a teenager. His brothers hatched this plot, they're jealous of him, and so they, you know, they sell him as a slave to the Egyptians. He's, he's taken away, he's enslaved in Egypt, he's falsely accused of a crime that he didn't commit, thrown into a, a dungeon, but, but, but God is with him the entire way. Joseph rises to become a, a, a leading official in Egypt, and, and he's used there in the saving of, of countless numbers of lives during a time of famine. But at the end of the story, his brothers come to him. The same brothers that had sold him as a slave years before. They're terrified of Joseph. They're afraid he's going to kill him. 
But they, they discover Joseph is not angry. He's not bitter because Joseph understands that God had a deeper plan. And it says in Genesis 50 in verses 19 and 20, Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. And so even though, yes, there was sin, there was evil that was involved in it, his brothers hatched this evil plan, God had a deeper plan, a plan for good. And God's plans are the plans that prevail. And the ultimate example of this is at the heart of our faith as Christians. It's the cross of Christ. Because what could be more evil, more horrible than the murder of the Son of God? But it was in that very action as Jesus was hanging on the cross that our sins were being atoned for. You see, people had one plan. It was a plan for evil. God had a greater plan, a plan for good. And the plan of our sovereign God is the plan that always prevails. And we see that here in in, in verse 12. Uh, Peter talks here about, about testing. It says, dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. So we all undergo tests in our lives. And, and, and maybe part of that is coming from the, the enemy to, to trip us up. But see, God uses tests to teach us how to stand and to refine and purify our faith. We saw that in the very first chapter of 1 Peter, didn't we? In verses 6 and 7, Peter said there, you rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief and various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. James tells us in James 1, verses 2 through 4, consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Paul says in Romans 5, verses 3 and 4, and not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance, endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. Now, this goes against the grain of one of the highest values in in American culture, which is comfort. Because whether it's spoken or not, sometimes the highest value in our culture is pain avoidance. We'll do anything just to avoid pain and to remain comfortable. But listen, God has a greater purpose in your life than just for you to remain comfortable and at ease. That greater purpose is for you to know him and for him to conform you 
to the image of Christ. Romans 8 and verse 29 says that for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. And and we don't get conformed to the image of Christ through lying on beds of ease. That's not how it happens. One of the things that God uses to make us like Christ is he uses trials. And so we can rejoice because God uses it for our good. Second, because it is an honor if it is for Christ. Look at what what he says in verse 13. Instead, rejoice as you share in the, the sufferings of Christ. If you have to deal with any persecution because you belong to him, to, to suffer like that is an honor. Now, this is a relative thing because any suffering that we may face in America for our faith is, is nothing compared to what many people around the world are enduring. But if we endure, you know, any kind of ridicule or uh, social alienation or anything like that because of our faith in Christ, listen, we should consider that to be a a great honor. You know, now he says in, in verses 15 and, and 16, if we, if we suffer because we've done wrong, I mean, there's no honor in that. But he says in verse 16, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. There's a great story in the book of Acts when the apostles have been arrested for uh, preaching about Christ and they've been taken before the, this council, the Sanhedrin. They've been beaten badly. Um, and when they're released, uh, Luke tells us about what their attitude was. It says in Acts 5.41, Then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. So suffering is an honor if it is for Christ. Third, uh, we can rejoice in times of suffering because of our future. (laughs) Because our future is so glorious. Trials, sufferings of this life, they are very temporary. They are not going to last. If you know Christ, you have forever with him. And so Peter uh, says here in, in verse 13, instead rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. And so listen, the the willingness to, to suffer for Christ is a sign that we truly belong to him and that we will be raised on the last day. Paul says in Romans 8, verses 16 and following, the Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children and of children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. There's a scene in, in Lord of the Rings where Sam is talking to, to Frodo And he says, it's like the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were. 
And sometimes you didn't want to know the end because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it will shine out all the clearer. (laughs) That statement is informed by Tolkien's hope in Christ. And so we can rejoice in times of suffering because of our future as believers. Fourth, we can rejoice because of God's presence with us in times of suffering. Peter says in verse 14, if you were ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. You so isn't God with us always? Of course he is. But in times of pain, In times of suffering, we sense the the presence of God's spirit in a different kind of a way. You know, C.S. Lewis once said that God whispers to us in our pleasures, but shouts at us in our pain. And so when we suffer in a godly way, there will be a special fellowship with Christ as we share in his sufferings and the spirit of God will rest on on our lives in a different way. We'll be especially aware of his nearness. And then finally, we can rejoice in times of suffering because it's an opportunity to glorify God. Verse 16, he says, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. Because when people see in times of suffering in our lives, that we have something that transcends the suffering that highlights the goodness of God. And many of you know my, my story and, and, and you know that when I was 17 years, years old that God used a young guy named Art Kelsey uh, to really to, to bring me back to himself. And one of the things that, that made that Art's witness so powerful was what I knew that he was going through at that point in his life. Because he had just lost one parent and he was getting ready to lose another. His father had just passed away very suddenly with a heart attack just a few months before that time. His mother at that point was terminally ill with cancer and was going to pass away within about four months. At that point, he was in the middle of law school where he'd been married. There were just tons of pressure points in this young man's life. And yet, I saw in his life a peace. There was a sense of calm. There was even a sense of joy despite everything that was going on. And what that did for me was that it highlighted. It highlighted who God was because he was very open about the fact that it was a relationship with Christ that was making the difference in his life. And so when we suffer in a godly way, it highlights who God is. In verses 17 and and 18 here, he gives some, some words of warning. So let's look at that in verses 17 and 18. He says, for the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? And if the righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly 
and the sinner. Well, Peter specializes in these difficult verses as we've seen. So what does he mean here? What's he talking about? What does he mean when he talks about a judgment beginning with God's household? Well, when he talks about God's household, he's talking about the church. You know, he's talking about believers, clearly. What kind of throws us here is that in our circles, we're not used to the word judgment being applying to Christians. But the word judgment is used in different ways in Scripture. And when he talks here about kind of the judgment um, that, that Christians go through, he's not talking here about, you know, God casting us away, you know, or he's not, or God destroying us or something like that. That's not the idea. What Peter is talking about is, is that the fact that, that, that part of our lives as believers on this earth does entail suffering. The, the fire and the hardships that, that suffering brings into our lives but see, that kind, that kind of a judgment is ultimately redemptive, right? God's got a good purpose in that. It's, for us, it's redemptive. But for those who reject the gospel, you know, judgment is totally different, and that is final. And so Peter is making that contrast here. New Testament scholar Tom Schreiner says this about this verse. It says, Peter proceeded to argue from the lesser to the greater. If even those who are going to be saved are purified and judged by suffering, then the outcome or result of those who reject the gospel will surely be a greater punishment. And sometimes we talk about the the cost of discipleship. But think about the cost of non-discipleship. Because ultimately that's infinitely greater. And so there's some words of warning And then in verse 19, words of encouragement. Wow. (laughs) Oh, verse 19 is a great verse to commit to memory. Peter says, So then, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. This is this last verse is sort of the it's the last verse of this text, and it's the bottom line for us in suffering in so many ways. But what does he what does he say here about it? First of all, we need to know that God's will is involved in this. Look at verse 19 again. It says, So then let those who suffer according to God's will. We need to understand. And this is one of the most important things we can understand as believers when we go through times of suffering. We need to understand that the trial that we are going through is not something that sort of just got past God. No! Anything that comes into your life had to pass through the loving hands of your Father before it got to you. And God has ordained it for your good. And for his glory, he knows what he is doing. And we need to understand that. We need to understand that he's going to take maybe what the enemy intended for evil, and he can stand it on its head and use it for incredible, glorious, beautiful good. The second thing that we see here is that we need to keep trusting God 
in times of suffering. Again in verse 19, so then let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator. You might not understand all the reasons for the trial, all the reasons for the suffering. Rarely do we understand that. We may understand some things, put some pieces of the puzzle together in our lifetime, but, but not all of them. There are many things that we are not going to understand about our sufferings until we get to glory. But we can trust in who our God is. Oh, I love what Charles Spurgeon says about this. The Christian believes God to be too wise to err and too good to be unkind. He trusts him where he cannot trace him, looks up to him in the darkest hour and believes that all is well. And then finally, he says in verse 19 that we are throughout times of suffering, keep doing what is good. One of the temptations in times of suffering is to retreat, to withdraw. And he tells us here, no, lean forward. Lean forward in ministry. Keep doing what is good. So then, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. We're reminded in Galatians chapter 6 and and verse 9, let us not get tired of doing good for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. And so, listen, life is hard. (laughs) Life in this world as it is now, broken, is hard. Listen, the world is not always going to be broken. There's going to be a new world when Jesus comes. But, but, but life in this fallen world is hard. It has plenty of problems. There's lots of problems. There's lots of, of setbacks. There's lots of pain along the way. That's the case in every single life. It's even the, 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 the case in, in churches. And listen, what he is saying here is that through it all, you need to understand that, first of all, God knows what he's doing. That, that God is, 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 is allowing things into your, your life and, and that he is going to use all of that for your good and for his glory. And so you can keep trusting in him through it all and keep obeying him keep doing what is good keep loving other people one of the things that we're tempted to do in times of suffering is to look in but look out look out to the needs of others one of the things that suffering can do is make us more get, have a, make us have more empathy for other people who are suffering and so look beyond yourself seek to minister to other people and, 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 and love them and do acts of kindness. God, God will make you more aware of the people around you in times of, of suffering. And remember this, Jesus has walked this road before you. Isaiah 53 and verse 3 says this about him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering, He is the suffering servant who entered into 
our suffering, who did not stay distant from it. He entered into it. He is the one who walked the Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering. And because of that, he is able to sympathize with our sufferings. He has a heart for those who suffer. He came to, to heal the brokenhearted. One of my favorite movies of the last 10 or 15 years is Slumdog Millionaire. It won eight Academy Awards, deservedly so. Heartbreaking. Poverty. Violence. Child trafficking formed the backdrop of this beautiful, tender love story between Jamal and Latika. These two kids who grow up in the slums of Mumbai. And when Latika is kidnapped by human traffickers, Jamal never stops looking for her. He looks for her for years, never stops loving her, never stops looking for her. And at the end, against impossible odds, they are reunited. Latika has on a, a yellow scarf across her face. And as Jamal removes the, the scarf, there's a jagged scar disfiguring one side of her face that was made by the, the knife of one of, the, one of her kidnappers. And she, when she knows that Jamal sees her scar, she, she lowers her head in shame and, and Jamal, his eyes fill with tears, just gently lifts her face and he kisses her scar. Not first her lips, but her scar. And it's as if the scar itself has been somehow been made beautiful and redeemed by love. Listen, the Bible tells us of Jesus in Isaiah 53 and verse 5 that we are healed by his wounds. Jesus took the scars so that one day all of our scars can be removed, that, that every tear will be wiped away and that all things can be made new. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for hope and suffering. And ultimately, we know that we have that hope because there was one who suffered for us. And so, this brings us right to the heart of the good news of what Jesus has done for us. We thank you that, that instead of being distant from us that, that Jesus came for us and that he, he suffered in our place so that one day all suffering will end because he rose from the dead and death is defeated and all the suffering that goes into it ultimately has been defeated. And so we thank you that for, that for the believer that, that this, these, the sufferings of this, this life will not last 
we praise you, they will not last. They are very temporary. And we have forever with you. And so, Lord, we thank you. And we, we pray that you would, would, would make us, uh, in this broken world, with so many suffering people all around us, and even in our own lives, as we often experience that brokenness, and as we suffer ourselves, we pray that your Holy Spirit would make us mindful of people around us. We don't know all that they're going through, but we, we, we know that just because of the nature of this world, they're going through something, and they're hurting. We pray that you would, would help us to suffer well for your glory and, and make us agents of, of your love, conduits of your, of your love to other people who suffer and to, to, to point them to the one who suffered in our place and who offers ultimate redemption in Jesus. It's in his name that we pray, amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.